0: Hey, my name's Emma.
1: Hey, my name's Maddie.
0: And you're listening to The Pilots Pandemic.
1: Avinola is a small batch gourmet granola that's made with grain and gluten free ingredients. It's made from ancient lupini beans, which are filled with fiber and tons of plant protein. It's less than one gram of sugar and only 95 calories per serving. It's a zero guilt snack that checks all the boxes and loads of fiber to keep you feeling full. So Emma, what's your favorite part of Avinola?
0: Well, obviously, y'all already know I love the chocolate, but the coconut almond vanilla is also very, very good. Um, Besides just eating it straight out of the bag because it's that delicious. I love to make like a Greek yogurt bowl, bunch of avinola honey berries macadamia nuts maybe some pecans I don't know whatever my little heart is feeling but that is my favorite way to enjoy Avinola. and I especially love this company and this brand because a it's a small business and b it is women owned and created we absolutely love Maggie and if you haven't already go back and listen to her episode but you guys can use discount code pilots pandemic for $15. Off your order of Avinola. So code Pilots Pandemic. What is up, all my little buttercups? You're listening to the Pilots Pandemic podcast. It is your host, Emma. Um Yeah, we are taking a break from our regularly scheduled programming to give you something light and fluffy. Emphasis on fluffy. This week, we were able to speak to Michael Schneider. I believe that's how you say his last name. Michael is the creator and founder of Pilots to the Rescue. They are a nonprofit that specializes in helping all kinds of critters, not just shelter pets. They do everything from turtles to wild wolves. It's absolutely incredible, all the work that they're able to do. Um, And we just really enjoyed speaking to him. Maddie and I are both people that really enjoy animals. Um, Myself, I grew up around animals. I had seven horses, birds, cats, dogs, like literally every kind of pet you could ever imagine I grew up with. Um, So yeah, just excited to be able to bring you this show this week. I hope you all enjoy. So we are here with Michael. Thank you, Michael, for joining us today. As all of our listeners know, Maddie and I absolutely love animals. I have two cats and a dog of my own, and Maddie has four cats. So You know, we have a soft spot for animals. Um, So we wanted to talk to you today and learn more about the concept of pilots to the rescue. And so I first wanna ask, how did you come to even build this platform? Like what inspired this?
2: Well, my start in aviation began with skydiving. Uh, I have four jumps and I think that anybody who's never been skydiving before, maybe they've never been in a small plane. And that's exhilarating in itself, uh, sitting on, you know, the floor of a probably what, what's a 182 or a stationary or something like that, with all the seats taken out. And um, I found myself uh, after the first jump gravitating more towards the plane, like there's one pilot up there with all the instrumentation. And I found that fascinating. So it was my third jump in Miami. I asked the pilot some questions and he encouraged me to take a discovery flight which I did at a small airport in Cincinnati. I was living there at the time. And uh, now it's a park. It's called. It was called Blue Ash uh, Airport. And uh, I took a discovery flight and I got hooked. Um, and then once I got my PPEL, I finished at Sporties in uh, Cincinnati. I uh, came back to New York and uh, realized I really didn't know what the heck I was doing uh, because the Bravo airspace is like starting all over. Um, and I was looking for reasons to fly, just like any pilot, uh, you know, they, they talk about the hundred dollar hamburger. It's more like 200 now, but, um, <laughs> the you got the, yeah, you got the Manhattan skyline, you know? So I did that a bunch. And, um, I heard about this group called pilot and pause that everybody's heard about. And, uh, I did one of their missions and being the entrepreneur that I am, I started asking them questions. How do I get more involved, uh, making improvements, suggestions, and, um, <clears throat> They were um, receptive to a point, and at that at that point, I said, "Well, listen, I I can probably build a better mousetrap, but let's." I wanted to do my own thing. So, starting pilots to rescue is more of a necessity to get into a larger plane because, as most pilots know, um, it's very difficult to rent six place planes. I mean, they have multis, but at the time, that wasn't really a viable option financially. Uh, so, I started the organization really for opportunity to fly a plane uh, that was larger and more expensive than I could have afford. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, the real, the real uh, motivation behind starting the organization came out of this work called uh, Landmark. And um, they have this uh, exercise that's called the big game. And basically what they do is they, they challenge you to do something you've always wanted to do, but you make every excuse in the book, not to do it. Uh, I don't, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have the money. You know, we all have these passion projects that we want to do, but we keep putting them off. Uh, so that was a sign um, to, you know, it was at the, around the same time that I was thinking about starting this organization. And I said, okay, that's going to be my, my pet project. Um, and they push you to have an unreasonable goal. My, and my goal was to raise $10,000 in 48 hours and the moment I stepped into that landmark center, I raised my $10,000 and, uh, that's the seed money I used to, you know, register the 501 C three to start the website and do some fundraising. Um, wow. yeah, so I got to combine my love of aviation and rescuing animals. Um, I'm- that's Yeah
0: have you always been like an animal person? Like I know for a lot of people that kind of move into these kind of careers, um, it seems like they've always had a soft spot for animals. Like I know myself, my mom has always said, I've been the collector. Like they come to me, I find them. I'm like, what else am I supposed to do? They're coming home with me. Um, Were you like that as a kid? Like had, had you always had a soft spot for pets?
2: Absolutely. We grew up with pets, uh, dogs and cats mostly, but to my parents' dismay, I also took in the neighborhood animals—the <laughs> wounded birds, the squirrels, uh, mice. Um, some for the pet store, some not, some locally. Uh, but that was the thing that we did as a family. We went to the local SPCA. We picked out the sad puppy, or uh, you know, even senior dogs or or cats, and we brought them home. Uh, I didn't even know that you could buy an animal, or I didn't understand what a full breed was. Um, all these things that were kind of pushing against and and, and creating awareness about uh, adopting a shelter pet, uh, I didn't even realize there was anything else. So I grew up with that. And um, I was always had an affinity towards animals. I had a pet sitting business, which, again, Aww. my parents didn't really like, um, but it's more <laughs> dog walking than anything. Because, as you know, the dog feels uh, dogs tend to feel more comfortable in their own home. So
0: yeah,
2: mm-hmm. uh, walking them was is a little easier for the the pet and the owner. But um, yeah, so I, I grew up loving rescue animals, and that certainly was at work um, combining these two ideas.
0: That's so cool
1: yeah I love that you melded like animals with aviation it's such not? a good idea yeah like what could be better honestly <laughs> um but I was kind of wondering like with building pilots to the rescue what have been some of the animals that you've transported and is one animal more difficult than another to fly in the general aircraft that you guys fly
2: Right. So most of the animals we transport are dogs and cats, but we also do some endangered species work, uh, mainly red wolves and Mexican gray wolves. And we collaborate with other organizations to do that, uh, as well as uh, sea turtles. And some of these sea turtles get up to 100 pounds. Um, And we've done foxes as well. Uh, And we've gotten inquiries to transport everything from ducks to elephants. Uh, Haven't done any of those yet yeah the oh, elephant would be yeah. a little challenging in a uh a Saratoga, but yeah. uh,
0: so how do you with like a, something like a turtle how i mean like how do like how did they transport them are they um in some kind of like tank or do they have like a moisture system like what's going on there behind the scenes like in the back seat when you're flying these missions
2: the turtles can stay out of water for quite some time um they're there might be, I don't, they transport them in banana boxes, they call them, which are shallow uh, crates mm-hmm. um, with a hard top on them. But yeah, all the turtle rest the transports we've done, they've, I don't believe they, uh, the water was the issue, is was the temperature. Because they were, they're cold stunned, it's basically the equivalent mm-hmm. of a human becoming hypothermic, and they overstay their welcome up here in the northeast. They just get disoriented, and then it's too cold for them. So a lot of times, we're making space from a zoo or an aquarium, and also eventually getting them to warmer waters. They they need to be nursed back to health first before we can release them. Uh, But the yeah, endangered species work. Yeah, yeah, and and the endangered species work is extremely rewarding because we're actually single-handedly having an impact. In the whole ecosystem, when we get involved in that work, for example, uh, the red wolf is the most endangered canid in the whole world. There's less than 10 of them known known collared red wolves in the wild. Those are just the ones we know about, but it, it, you know they're critically endangered. So when we transport them, it's for mating purposes. Uh, there's there's really no Tinder for wolves. It's it's all genetic code when they have a Good match. They call us up and say, "Hey, we we identified a wolf in uh, Indianapolis that would be a good match for a wolf here in New York." And um, we've gotten involved not only in the wolves mating and having pups, but also the pups' offspring. You know, the pups uh, that were born. We've also transported them. Uh, so, so we're into second generation already with with the wolves we transport, and that's that's wow. very rewarding work.
0: So you've like been able to see almost like a fit, fa- like you've facilitated and seen pretty much a whole family, like a generation come through, um, like with these wolves, it, that's, that's so interesting, like that you get to like continuously be a part of it.
2: It is, it really is. It's rewarding and people don't understand, you know, why worry about, a species that's going to be going endangered. Well, there's countless examples of when one animal is uh, eradicated, another one proliferates and causes other problems. It's all part of a larger ecosystem. We're all connected. So um, there will be repercussions if we start losing certain species. Um, I think with the wolves, it's the elk population. and I think mm-hmm. somewhere maybe in the Grand Canyon, there were stories about that where they were trying to get rid of wolves. And then all of a sudden they didn't have a wolf problem anymore, but they had an elk problem. Uh, Reminds so, me
0: of that yeah. movie, Never Cry Wolf, if you've ever seen that. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. But I think it's based off of like a true story. But they thought that the wolves were hurting, I think, the elk population in Alaska or something like that. But right. they sent out the scientist and he's like, it's not the wolves it's the hunters um it was something completely unrelated but that's that's just so interesting and I have one final question that we don't have on our script but when you're transporting something like a wolf where I can imagine like it's extremely stressful for the animal um are they sedated like how does that work
2: yeah it is stressful they're more scared of us than we are of them uh they're mainly in the enclosure that you really can't see in and out of and I, the little bit that I've seen, they just crawl up in the corner. Um, I think that uh, they make sure they're well-fed before mm. they d- eat they deer carcasses. Um, I, I think they even take roadkill. Uh, but um, they eat deer, and they make sure they're well-fed so that they get sleepy, um, which is counter to what we normally do with the dogs. We don't want them to be well-fed because they're just going <laughs> <and laughs>
0: to
2: go to the bathroom all over the place. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's the only thing about the endangered species is you don't have much, you don't really have any touch points with them. So dogs are the best because you can play with them and you get to see their demeanor change once you land. Um, you know, the, the loading of the dogs is the most stressful part, but once you unload them, their tails are wagging and they, mm. they know that they're going to a better place. Whereas with the endangered species, you can't really interact with them much. Um, that's the only downer with transporting them. You, you just have to think about how much good you're doing with with relocating them
0: yeah that's so interesting so kind of moving on back to our question sorry Mm -hmm. i just i love this kind of stuff um i've like like i said in the beginning maddie and i both like not just pets but maddie said multiple times like she loves hiking and nature and i've always been the same so it's really interesting to have this conversation we're always talking about aviation and mental health but this is just such a good, I don't know, reprieve from all that. Um, so what makes Pilots to the Rescue different than other rescue animal outfits? Um, I know there are a few out there, but I know that yours is specifically unique. Can you share that with our audience?
2: Yeah, sure. There's probably about 10 of us out there. I mentioned one of them that's the most well-known, Pilot and Paws. Um, they're mainly a message board or transport board and it's do-it-yourself. Uh we do have one of those boards. We're working on a new one um to be launched early next year. Because a lot of the rescue requests we get are not necessarily the best fit for our two planes that we own and operate out of New Jersey. Um so we have our internal operations and those are with known partners that we work with all the time and we aren't always entertaining new relationships. But uh you know, insurance makes it such that we really can have a huge roster of pilots flying those planes. It's very specific about who can meet the open pilot warranty. Basically, insurance is limiting our operations because we're part 91. We're a pleasure and business use policy. We're not charter. So put that aside, uh, the other part of what we do is that message board. And we are, we do have big hopes of working with other volunteer pilots because so many have come forward and say, "Hey, we want to do transport for you. we want to we want to rescue these animals." Um, so even even if they're not willing to fly as far because they're paying out of their own pocket or they don't have the equipment like we do, that doesn't mean they're not they can't be helpful. So that's the part that I want to explore and grow because you know we can't have a fleet of twenty planes across the country. It's just too cost prohibitive. And as I said, insurance doesn't really it's not conducive to doing such. So, Um, I think there's a great opportunity there. But to answer your question, uh, we're one of the few organizations that owns and operates their own planes. Uh, There's only a a very small, uh, out of those 10, I would say there's maybe four, you know, minority that own and operate their own planes um, based on the reasons I mentioned, cost, insurance, uh, a lot of gray area when it comes to the FAA, what you can and can't do, that kind of stuff. The rest of them, the rest of the organizations Don't own or operate any planes. They just support the pilots that are volunteering their time, whether it's, uh, you know, um, Angel Flight or Patient Airlift Services. They don't do animals, but that's an example of of all volunteer organizations. Um, So, yeah, that's that's pretty much what we're looking at. But I think a hybrid model, long term, people say, you know, where's pilots going to rest? Pilots are rescued to be in five years. We'll be tapping in more this hybrid model where we have our own internal operations with our planes, and then everything else is supporting other pilot volunteer pilots doing getting the missions done because they want to help. People are looking to yeah. do these amazing things with something they work so hard to achieve. Uh, getting a pilot's license is not easy, and it's something that every pilot should be extremely proud of. And then they're left thinking, "Well, how, what am I going to do with this thing now?" You know, like <laughs> earlier in our conversation, I, I've already went to the cool restaurants, I've done the cool tours. I, you may, they may or may not want to have a career in aviation. And, um, you know, so they're looking for, for reasons to fly. And this is a, a giving back this public benefit flying area, whether it's animals or otherwise, because there's a lot of great organizations that are doing, you know, uh, medical cases with people. Uh, this is a great area to exercise your uh, pilot privileges and also give back.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think you hit the, the nail on the head with that one. Cause Emma and I had a conversation with a, a guy who is, who's going to get his PPL. And he, he literally said that he was like, you know, I don't really want to become a professional pilot, but I would like to help in some way, like do some fun flights with animals or, you know, I want to give back if I do get my PPL. So um, I love that you said that and mentioned that. Cause it's true. There are pilots out there that want to do those things. Um, so speaking of that, like what kind of flying can a pilot expect if they do choose to go on an animal saving mission? And I mean, it really does seem like a great way to start building your hours and all of those things.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, the thing that's different about doing animal transport that people don't always realize is it is equipment intensive, uh, I, I mean, we do tether animals, uh, meaning outside the crates, especially when they're larger, but you, you need to be cognizant of what could go wrong in that situation. So, you know, you just have to make sure you have all the supplies that you might need uh, everything from wee wee pads, because they're going to make a mess, to tarps. Um, you don't want to mess up your plane, whether it's a rental or, or owned. Um, you know, the proper tethers, uh, always best to put them in crates if you can, it's safer for transport um and it's not something i would recommend doing single pilot it doesn't necessarily have to be a pilot you bring with you but someone that could assist in case there's a problem with the animal Um, i can
0: barely drive my car by myself with my dog in the back so (laughs) yeah i'm like yeah i definitely need like a co-pilot
1: yeah, course, yeah. Like, don't they want to play with the the dogs? Because you guys mostly do dogs. I always see on the Instagram page. But like, I always love when they get the dogs out on their laps and stuff. So it'd be fun just to have someone there so you can play with them.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And it's you need someone to pull them in and out of the crates. Uh, but yeah, that, that's the great thing about doing it, is it makes it more interesting when you're in routes when you're in cruise, to have your friends to play with, and um, it just makes it more the time go faster and animals obviously. Well, Our big sh-
1: question yeah. sorry to cut you off but i was no, just wondering do you do the if you have your ppl do you have to be ifr rated to fly the the animals
2: no no you don't okay. no nope. good to know uh, good to know yeah um and the other thing pe- people may not understand is that most animals get hypoxic starting at eight thousand feet so I've, wit- I've witnessed this firsthand with some of the animals having trouble breathing. You know, maybe I went up to 9,000 to clear some turbulence or um, get above some uh, weather or something like that. And I've noticed that the, you know someone noticed that the animal is having trouble breathing, so I'm mm-hmm. um, something, something to be cognizant of because you know humans that we don't start to encounter those problems till 10 to 12,000 feet somewhere in there. Yeah, um no,
1: no when i was a ramper like pugs specifically were like something that we had to be concerned about because of their like um snouts like how they're like smashed to their face like they can't breathe very well and especially like the temperature too was a big thing that we had to worry about for the animals
2: yeah yeah exactly exactly so. I was
0: about to say, so what do you, like, just out of curiosity, this is such a silly question, but like, have you ever had to move like a litter of puppies or like small animals that like, or something like a duck where like, they're way more sensitive to the cold? How do you, how do you yeah, go those, about that?
2: The sea turtles, the sea turtles, perfect example. I uh, make sure the heat works, um, <laughs> which is kind Not of always the case miss. <laughs> yeah those those cables uh they don't always move very easy um and they get cranked up you know I don't know what everybody else has in their plane we we fly PA-32s and they have those little knob that you move over in the Saratoga you lift it up and move it over and the 6XT it, I guess they got rid of that because they probably found out people weren't lifting them up but uh, the other thing about the heat is it's just so uneven. It's yeah. it's interesting how they let you put it halfway, but it, it's like on or off. There's not always anything halfway.
0: Well, it's just dra- like in my experience, it's always a very like it's very drafty. Like your feet could be absolutely freezing and the top half of your body, you feel like you're about to melt. Um mm-hmm if that makes any sense. I know in like older planes, there's just little nooks and crannies where you get the whistle of wind coming through and it hits like a knife. So I wondered like how you guys regulate the temperature inside the cockpit.
2: Yeah, I mean, we just make sure it's it's close to 76 degrees with the turtles as we can. Uh, But we haven't had any problems so far. So that's good, knock on wood. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty, animals are resilient. Uh, So that uh, we have that going for them
0: yeah so what kind of situations are you rescuing most of these animal animals from like have you ever had to have you ever had like any tragic incidences or stories where you had to rescue an animal from some kind of doom like i'm thinking of like all the wildfires that we've had out west over the past two years like anything like that come to mind
2: certainly natural disasters hurricanes mostly um a lot of animals get displaced during hurricanes or are left behind. Uh, so anytime <laughs> there's a major storm like that, uh, where people have to evacuate quickly, they don't always have the opportunity to take a loved, loved pets with them, yeah. or, you know, uh, they just can't find them or they get abandoned. I um, mean, the hoarding situations are, are tragic, where people hoard these animals thinking they're doing good But they're the animals are living in squalor, you know, uh, unhealthy, unsanitary conditions, uh, lack of food and medical treatment, Um, even though the person had a big heart, it was it was uh, to a fault Um, and animal control needs to get involved because they are not taking care of them and it's unsanitary. Uh, other situations: um, animals thrown into dumpsters or ditches because they're unwanted. Uh, we f- we find a lot of animals near pe- pet stores like Petco in the back of, in dumpsters thrown out. Oh my god! Um, COVID situation certainly was an issue uh, where people died of COVID and then their animal nobody wants their animal, mm-hmm. um, or they get evicted or they have to move on because they can't afford the the rent and wherever they're going doesn't allow for animals that we saw a lot of that the last couple of years. Um, So uh, vicious breeds, that's an issue and large breeds up here in the Northeast or most of the country, renters and homeowners policies don't allow for vicious breeds like Rottweilers, German Shepherds, Doberman Pinchers, um, dogs like that. Uh, So it makes it very hard to find a place that will take them. large animals, because uh, up here in the Northeast, people like the the little dogs. Uh, so that becomes an issue also. And senior animals, senior animals have a 60% less chance of being adopted um, than yeah. younger younger animals, which is really a shame because senior animals, they're more of a known entity. They're usually potty, obviously they're potty trained, you know, their demeanor, their temperament, and they make for really loving animals. Um, everybody shouldn't, doesn't need to be so focused on getting a puppy you know the yeah. big responsibility
0: is it ever like like oh gosh I, I could not like oh I would get so emotional like some of the things that you were saying about like some of the situations that you find these animals in is that ever like kind of a emotional stressor for you like for myself I don't know why I could listen to true crime all day long but the minute I see like there was a the series that came out on Netflix a couple years back, Don't Fuck With Cats. I refused to watch that for almost two and a half, three years. Finally, one day, my friend made me sit down and watch it. And it infuriated me so badly. Like, it, it really emotionally disturbed me. Something about animals, knowing that they can't fend for themselves, they can't speak. Um, is that ever, like, an emotional stressor for you?
2: Um. Yeah, it, it is. I try to, f- I mean, I get questions all the time, like, how do you not want to adopt all the animals and stuff like that? I try to focus yeah. on the task of transporting them and knowing that um, they're going to be in a better situation wherever I'm bringing them to. Um, I try not to focus too much on their uh, sad stories and where, the, you know, that part is not something I necessarily um, can I can do anything on. about other than be a, an example of uh, how important it is to get back, to roll up your sleeves, get involved and make a difference. Um, so I tend to focus on the positive outcome of where they're going. Yeah. Um, yeah, because otherwise you can really, and I see those people. I mean, there are some bleeding hearts in animal welfare. There really are. And, it's, yes. uh, you know, they, I, I, they're just, they wear their heart on their sleeve and they just start to, start to implode. Um, I can
0: imagine it like eases. I, I didn't even think about it from that perspective, from like, you know, I might be sitting on the couch watching something on a screen where like I can't really do anything about it. But you know that you're controlling their environment now and you're taking them to a better place. So I can imagine like there's that element to it where it isn't as emotionally draining.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think like you have, uh, your personal piece. Cause you know, what you're doing is providing a way bigger impact than just, you know, saving one animal, which I think is huge because like Emma, I, I see a dead deer, someone hits a deer and I'm like, Oh my God, freaking out. And there's deer, all dead deer all over Washington state. So, um, things just, I feel like if I was doing that, I would be that like diehard person who You'll mm-hmm. be um, very emotionally invested. Um, hence why I have four freaking cats. Um, but mm-hmm. I did have a question because I just recently saw on your Instagram that you guys were looking to get a Cessna caravan. So that's right. You, yeah. Can you share with, uh, with us why that would be so impactful for you guys?
2: Yes. Uh, t- 10 times the amount of animals. It's the space, um, a very efficient aircraft and more robust for commercial operations uh, you know a de-ice solution de um on board as well as uh turboprop uh, you know you have a more co- better commercial robust platform for making these transports happen but the main thing is is the efficiency of uh, per per animal so these PA32s are great planes but they're not cheap they're And they break all the time, whereas the caravan, you know, the TBO on the engines double, for example. Um, So it's just efficiency and um, reliability will be increased. But the main reason is the amount of animals that you can transport is. So
1: how many is it? Sorry. Well,
2: we could fit probably 10 dogs of various sizes in the PA32. But in the caravan, we probably could do 50 or more.
0: Holy crap. Yeah,
2: Yeah, so five to 10 times the amount. It just depends on the size. Um, yeah. To
0: Sorry. And to kind of give a visual picture, like when you talk about a Cessna caravan, you're not talking about like you're talking about what they, you know, run packages in like UPS style caravan, not like a sky skydiving caravan.
2: Well, I mean, it, whatever they're using for it doesn't really matter. I mean, the the U, FedEx, I didn't know UPS ran that, but they they probably do, too. I know FedEx has a lot of caravans that's a cargo version that wouldn't be the best one. Cause there's like no windows. There's just two oh, windows in the front. I got you. But um, uh, skydiving is not out of the question. I mean, we don't need a lux- luxury interior. We actually looked at a few skydiving. They just with the skydiving, they turn a lot of the systems off. So you just have to make sure they work. Like most skydiving caravans probably don't have de-ice turned on. Um, you know, they, they're they looking to increase reliability uh, any weight savings possible. So if they don't need the systems, they, they deactivate them. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a 14 passenger, up to 14 passengers, I think in the US they only allow for 11, but, um, and it's got a 52 foot wingspan. I mean, the the PA 32 is six passenger, but it's just huge. You know, it's more yeah, of a, yeah. it's more of a, of, of a square cargo mm-hmm. bay than this rounded thing with some weird, you know, we're always running into issues in the back of the plane with like the channel on the roof where the vents are, all our. Plastic gets cracked from pushing crates and stuff. I mean, we're. I tell people what we have is like a family station wagon, making it into a commercial vehicle.
0: Yeah.
2: Whereas a caravan, so, it's known, it's known for that kind of stuff, you know. Um,
0: so instead of it like kind of funneling towards the back and getting smaller, 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 you have like a wider space from front exactly. To back. It's
2: more consistent, and the loading opportunities. It's it's just more professional. The other thing is, does uh, that for disaster response? It way makes way more sense to fly that, excuse me, fly that plane long distance. Like a lot of the hurricanes down South, um, it just doesn't make sense to fly a PA-32 from New Jersey all the way down to Florida, or Louisiana. And you, you just couldn't make enough flights to make a, uh, to push the needle. Whereas mm-hmm. a caravan, if you operate that thing every day, uh, all day for a week, you could make a huge difference. Not only just taking animals out, but bringing supplies in. That's like
1: Airfare, healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They source more than 50 snacks from small businesses across North America. Hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they are healthy, unique, and have a long shelf life. And they're perfect for keeping you feeling great in the flight deck.
0: Our listeners can get 50% off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code PILOTSPODCAST at checkout. So go visit airfarepouch.com to check out all the snack options and learn more. Again, that's airfarepouch.com to use our code PILOTSPODCAST for 50% off your first order of truly healthy snacks. of animals yeah,
2: yeah it's also the supplies so we could you know when whenever there's a disaster it's they need a lot of supplies they need uh clean water they need right. towels they need all that stuff so we don't need to go down empty um, i didn't even think
0: about yeah. that yeah because right. you could your weight you know what i mean your weight and balance like you have way more ability to pack that thing Full um right. versus and and really have an impact when it comes to helping. Right. So is that what you guys are doing? Like when when it comes to hurricanes and situations like that, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. I've grown up in the South. So that's something that like I'm very familiar with as far as a natural disaster. Um, like this just came up in my head. Is there like, how can you help in those situations? Like, is there certain things that you can donate? Um, supplies, like what is most helpful to do in those situations?
2: Yeah, you're definitely going to donate supplies uh, from, you know, most of the supplies that they need when it relates to the animals is, is food, water, uh, blankets. Um, when it comes to humans, it's, you know, canned food, um, water, the same type of stuff, medical yeah. supplies. Um, they they always need that stuff. Uh, a lot of the roads are also impassable. That's the other thing that aviation is helpful because. The airport may be operational or operational before the roads. Um, you know, there's different situations that I hear about. Uh, but uh, yeah, when you have disasters like that, it's all hands on deck, and there are a lot of great organizations that are providing relief efforts. Whether it's American Red Cross, um, sometimes you know it's easier just to make a donation and that, that and leave it to the professionals to get the work done. Um, but there's always collections too, um, and I, I, I could see that happening. I could see having the caravan, some kind of hurricane or natural disaster happening, and then coordinating with those local uh, groups uh, or government organizations, asking them what they need and telling them we have a big this big plane coming down there. Let's yeah do it. Let's do a drive for what you really need, and that's a way we can get involved above and beyond just bringing animals out. And, you know, going down empty empty is like a tragedy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, let's fill that plane with whatever we can. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is there are a lot of groups out there that are chartering aircraft during disaster response. And I just look at that as like an egregious waste of donors funds, because these charter organizations, they're for profit, and they charge a lot of money. And um, they're not the best equipment i mean one plane just went down i'm not going to name any names but went down in waukesha or waukesha wisconsin luckily they didn't have any casualties animals or or humans but um you know once we have this caravan we're, we're not charging anybody that's we're for the public charity so i i think that's one of the ways we also can help out is uh, because we're not a charter organization, we can provide this amazing resource to these organizations that are taking donors' funds and chartering aircraft at a very high expense, uh, because that's, they they're desperate. They don't know what else to do.
0: That's so interesting. Like I've never thought. Like I've never thought to make that correlation. Like you see price gouging and stuff like that in the event of natural disasters, but I didn't even think about the fact that companies like that could potentially be using that as like a money-making situation um, and yeah. kind of reaping the benefits of a literal disaster, which is terrible, obviously. Yeah. Well, I so. don't know if they're
2: necessarily gouging. Um, I've done the math and it's for what they're providing. I don't think they're gouging. It's just it, aviation, as you know, is so expensive. expensive. So, you know, you can be looking at things like as much as a, almost a thousand dollars a crate. And that makes it really difficult for a shelter to charge uh, adoption fee of, I don't know what the average adoption fee nationally what it is, but it's probably somewhere between 250 and $500 called 375. How do you do that? If you're spending almost a thousand dollars just to transport the animal, you know, um, that's why a lot of these shelters are, uh, you know, running at deficits. Um, but, uh, is a shelter paying for chartering these planes? Is these larger groups um, that, again, some of them are household names that you've heard of that are chartering planes to get animals out? Because, again, they don't know where else to go. There's there's not a lot of groups that are operating aircraft that, of that size and capacity. So I think that's something that's an area where we really could help out uh, is alleviating the budgets of these groups, um, you know, rather than spending fifty dollars to $100,000. On a flight wow! we could provide that resource so it's a very yeah. important initiative <clears throat> we're about uh a third of the way there and uh, we need to raise about 1.5 to 2 million mm-hmm. um for a used caravan yeah so we'll get well, there
0: Well, it honestly like i'm really excited to see where you guys go with this and you obviously have like your mindset is in the perfect place and like I could tell you have a real passion for not only helping dogs and animals and and wildlife but just for helping people. Um so I really really like like the mission that you have going. So yeah, you heard the man if you guys have an extra little penny, um you know where to donate which we're going to we're going to talk about that at the end. But I wanted to ask you kind of like switching subjects, can you take us through a day in the life of like of pilots to the rescue mission um and what it would be like from start to finish like what does that look like are you mm-hmm. having to load the dogs yourself like walk us through that
2: yeah sure well <clears throat> the other part of pilots with an s you know it's plural so we're working with a lot of pilot influencers and they're fantastic um and really enjoy coming on the missions and they do a great job about spreading awareness about our charity and what we do um so we we usually uh, have other pilots with us, as the point I wanted to make, um, and they're, they're documenting the, the whole trip. But a day in the life, uh, it starts out early. Uh, we're usually getting to the airport uh, between eight, 8 and 10 a.m. Uh, depending on the time of year, like it gets dark so early here in the north, Northeast. Um, so the earlier start, we get the better. And uh, it starts out with loading and preparation, preparing the plane. So we always top off when we get back on a, on a, from a previous mission because we're almost always empty going down south. Um, so other things we have to do is we have to look through the list of animals that we're transporting and figure out the giant game of Tetris um, and try to anticipate what crates to put in the back of the plane that will get the job done. Um, And generally, any animal that's more than 60 pounds, we try to tether that uh, dog whenever possible because the crates are huge. They're always way too tall. Uh, And we've tried every crate you can think of. We have some great crate sponsors like Impact Crates and Roughland Kennels. And they've been very generous with sending us uh, crates, but we've just come to find uh, anything more than 60 pounds. It's just you probably don't want to put it in a crate. So... Um, and then we have to line the plane, make sure we protect it with uh, the tarps and whatnot, and bring snacks for the humans, uh, lots of snacks and foods and beverages, because our our average flights are um, eight eight hours. Um, they can go as long as 13 um, or as short as six. Um, anything more than eight hours, we're probably divvying up those pilot duties, not doing it single pilot. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a long day. Um, when we get back, uh, you know, we meet the receipt receiving shelter, or receiving foster group. Hopefully they come to our home airport. They generally do a bunch of driving to accommodate our our requests. If we can come back to our home airport, we can go further. That's basically what happens. If we start making stops, it increases the fatigue and the stress and all that of flying. So Um, Generally, they'll meet us. Uh, We fly out of Essex County and Monmouth County. That's where we have the two planes, um, both in New Jersey. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, when we're in flight, it's just good conversations. Uh, When we have the animals on board, it's lots of uh, playing with the animals. We don't always take them out of the crates. Puppies are easy to take out of crates. The cats, we generally leave them in. I was about uh, to say.
0: I would totally take
1: the cats out there.
2: I I can
0: just imagine them like hanging upside down, claws full grip into the ceiling, like freaking out. Every single time I bring my cat in the car to like take him to the vet or whatever I have to do, he meows. And like, I wondered this. So like, do you ever have cats that like meow incredibly loud? Because all my cats that I've ever had growing up, the minute that they enter like a moving vehicle, they, Mm -hmm. it's it's a meow that like I've just never heard. It's so loud. Yeah. Like, do you ever? Do they ever do that? Like.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Certainly. Um, they meowing. They generally just go to sleep.
0: Really? Okay. Dogs and cats.
2: Yeah, because the lack of oxygen. Uh, the smaller yeah. dogs are yappy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They can be yappy. The the small dogs. Um. But- if
1: they start barking or, um, you know, and you're just like, let's just go a little higher, higher in here.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. We're that's kidding. our, that's our humor. We're kidding. We're kidding. <laughs> you cracked me up when you said, you know, lack of oxygen, they typically go to sleep. That is hilarious. Oh my God. Sorry. You that did. was really funny, but, um, mm. I, I just, I cannot even imagine, like I was, I was thinking about dogs this entire time, but as someone who like Maddie, you know, very well, you own four cats. I have two. I'm like, I could never see any of my animals, um, going in a small plane like that. I could just imagine that they would absolutely freak out. Um, but I thought it was interesting what you were saying about the crates and like having to play that game of Tetris. And it hit me when you said 60 pounds, because I was like, Dang, okay. I have a blue healer and he's a little guy, he's 50 pounds. And my friend has a golden retriever and it's not even a big golden retriever, but she's six, 60, 70 pounds. Mm-hmm. So that's not even like a 70 pound animal, 60 pound animal isn't necessarily like a big, big dog. Um, you know, there's golden retrievers, some pit bulls, pit bull mixes. So I can imagine like god that's got to be difficult. You said that super that the crates are super tall. Like do you ever foresee, I mean obviously this is like in the future, but do you ever think you would get into maybe like outfitting some kind of crates specifically made for this kind of thing?
2: I've looked into it. Uh it's it's ex- it's expensive. Um you're supposed to be able to stand up and turn around though if you look at the guidelines for transporting animals, but I'm telling you, once you load them and you start that engine, they just lay down and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess it's inhumane to not have it tall enough that they could get up and turn around. Um, so I don't know if I'd want to get involved in something. that can... I will tell you that a lot of people, they will criticize for putting a, too large of an animal in too small of a crate, even though mm-hmm. that that animal was slated to be euthanized anyway, and we gave it a chance to be adopted yeah. and live its life. So we stopped... We we try to not to do photos of inside the plane like how packed mm-hmm. it is.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: the first thing we do when we come back to the airport is take all the crates out and close the doors. So let people wonder how you hit all those animals in that tiny plane. And believe me, we have pictures like you wouldn't believe how we were able to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean we we work, We actually have some older crates that don't sell anymore um, because they're not as tall. Um, they Natural. they went to larger crates, but um yeah I mean it's Whoa. it's a th- it's a thought it certainly is a thought to get some custom built crates but we just found anything larger we'll just tether and generally you can tether these animals it's no big deal um and and they're very uh, dogs are extremely resilient uh by, we ha- yeah
0: by tether do you just mean like they're like on a leash they're not in a crate at that point or do you mean right. like you're okay okay yeah so you you can have them they just free they free stand, and for the most That's part right. they're good yeah oh, wow yeah that's so interesting because you would think like you know with shelter dogs and a, like dogs that come from the shelter i feel like there's this common misconception that they might be there for like a behavioral problem but it's so interesting that a lot of these animals you're able to just they just stand tied um and lay down that's yeah well I don't know, and that's when crazy you, when you're me. loading
2: them that's when you really see their their behavior and their demeanor and we've had uh flight risked animals before that um, even when we loaded them we took them off because we were concerned about how they would do in flight. Um, it doesn't happen often but it, it, occasionally it does and um, you know the ones that have been abused and neglected or have behavioral issues generally the they, they'll work with them before they release them for transport or if they require too much work unfortunately they they're not a good adoption candidate and you know they they're Unfortunately, will get euthanized. Um, it really just depends on the ability of the shelter to to work with those animals, what kind of staff they have, how patient they are, and those kind of things. Um, there are groups out there that will work with those animals too, which are amazing. But it really takes a special person to take an animal that's been uh, abused or neglected to that degree, because you just have to be super patient.
0: takes a long time.
1: It
2: takes a long time, yeah. I it sounds like
1: you guys are doing all the right things though. I actually was surprised that you'd even get like backlash from people thinking, Oh, the cage isn't big enough. But like, then I thought, obviously there's always someone that's going to say something. Even yeah. They're doing, yeah. Like, amazing work. Um, I was thinking of the other aspect of um, the animals being very therapeutic for people and how that affects pilots. Like, and their own mental health, since we are a mental health podcast. um, I was thinking, you know, some of these pilots that come off these missions may have like a marked difference in their attitude or just their mood. Um, Is that something that you would say that you see yourself when pilots come back from the missions that they've been on?
2: Absolutely. I mean, they're all animal lovers. Otherwise they wouldn't be coming along and volunteering their time and and broadcasting it to the audience. So uh, whatever lights them up about animals it, it's evident when they do the missions with us and um, I think they're just they feel like they're a kid in a candy store you know if they obviously they love aviation they love animals and they get to come along on this amazing journey and it doesn't always hit them the first you know after the mission because we're all so exhausted but the next day when they're looking through the pictures they realize what an impact what a difference they made in in all of these people's lives that are going to adopt them um, so I think gives them a much needed boost, um, in, in their life and, uh, something with in aviation, that's just so special. Yeah. So. Like
1: I know that that would make a huge difference in my own mood, like just helping. I volunteered in high school for the humane society and I did 40 hours of it. And then I realized like, what wow, that's probably why I have four cats now, because I mostly work with cats when I was working at the humane society, but, um just like the way that they're living and they don't have anyone to love them like being able to do those types of things where you know you're bringing them to like a home and a loving place is very rewarding um but yeah yeah I also
0: I also think we just don't prioritize enough within like aviation especially in general aviation for anyone who's like building their hours we don't like, I know it sounds like such a simple concept, but like going and flying for fun. Um, A lot of us don't allow ourselves to spend our money in that way or use our time or our resource to be able to do something that isn't a training flight. Um, And for a lot of people like that can really burn you out. I know for myself, like I got really lucky where a lot of my instructors could tell, like when I was hitting that, that burn zone. And they were like, all right, you know what? Like, let's have fun today. We're going to fly like whatever. It's it's a, it's an hour in your logbook. Like, let's go do something fun. And it could be just as simple as like flying around, having good conversation, landing at an airport that you've never been to before, going and getting ice cream. Like just the simple things can really bring back the joy and spark that that love that you had all over again. And I feel like this is such a great way to do that Um, on so many different levels. Like not only is it just a fun time and I feel like such a great way to put some hours in your, in your logbook, but you also, like Maddie said, you know, that you're facilitating these animals going into like better atmospheres and hopefully living like a loved life afterwards. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But So wrapping up kind of before we do our fun questions and kind of remind me back to my point when I was talking about the kennels, hopefully we won't have to like outfit these special kennels because hopefully you will have a caravan soon. So that's what I wanted to ask you. If a pilot wants to, you know, share or get involved in this meaningful work, or if they want to donate, sign up, share, like, how can they go about doing so?
2: Good place to start is uh, pilots to the rescue.org. It's all spelled out pilots t-o-t-h e rescue.org. On there, there is ways to donate and ways to volunteer. Um, and then also our social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. yeah, uh, you know, it's a great way to see uh, what we're doing and how people get involved. Um, but it's if you're a pilot, I definitely would encourage you to register because we're redoing our do-it-yourself transport board uh, to be launched early next year, and you'll get a notification when we have a mission that fits your criteria, namely your your location and the distance willing to fly. Um, so uh, even though we may not have many missions right now for for you to to take, uh, we we hope to ramp that up in the year to come.
1: Thank you, Michael. We are really love the work that you're doing. um, And we look forward to seeing you guys flourish and hopefully get that caravan as well. Um, But I wanted to move on to some fun questions just to kind of get to know you better. And of course, the first one I wanted to ask was what was your worst encounter that you had with like any animal?
2: We were loading this pit bull and it started chewing away at the crate and it got all bloody uh so we had to remove that animal we couldn't transport it um that's unfortunate because i don't know what the final outcome was for for him but uh yeah that one was very it was a little traumatizing for me to see the animal just really not wanting to be in there and the blood everywhere Jeez,
1: um, never yeah. like any crazy encounter before your pellets to the rescue. Like you've never had any other weird encounter with an animal.
2: Uh, not that I can think of. I know we um when we were doing trans uh, transfer of these cats. I remember we had an escape artist and ended ended up in between my rudder pedals.
0: Oh God! And, <laughs> oh so. Lord! That's my. That's like how do you even that right there is such an unfathomable situation that it's like, that's a nightmare. Like that seems like a dream. Yeah. (laughs) I could not a cat in between the water pedals. Like I've dreamt about, um, I have this reoccurring dream that my water bottle might, I have like one of these massive Yeti canteener um, water bottles. And I always have this reoccurring nightmare that it rolls down underneath, um, my gas and my brake pedal in my car. So that like literally that's nightmare fuel (laughs) yeah I don't know I'm like curious Maddie you kind of seemed like you had like a something already preset in your mind as far as this worst encounter like do you have a worst encounter
1: I do actually well because I was thinking you know animal people you don't like not every encounter with an animal is always going to be great um but I did I'm surprised I'm not scared of dogs now because of this, but when I think it was like in sixth grade, I my neighbor had a dog that he had just got from the humane society, and he always barked at us, and uh, but we still tried to like you know say hi and try to get acclimated to us as neighbors. But I was playing volleyball one day in the yard, in the front yard, and he kept barking at me. Um, So I went over there to pet him, and I put my hand over the fence and was petting him probably for a good minute, and then he decided he wanted. To bite me and he did and he bent my arm and I was so shocked like I just like <laughs> waited for him to like unlatch his teeth um and that they had to put him down I felt so bad because oh my god Maddie I didn't want it's them to fault. but they had a they had a two-year-old and they were afraid that well if he's gonna bite her like he may bite our child so they put him down because I didn't do anything to evoke him to like want to bite me I think it was maybe I mean, obviously it's protecting his space and area, but it's not like he didn't know who I was or anything like that. Um, so I did feel terrible, uh, but I did have like a nice scar on my arm to show people and be like, yeah, I've been bit by a dog, <laughs> but it didn't, um, scare me from dogs. Like most people who have those interactions usually typically don't like that type of animal anymore, but I don't really have that fear. And, maybe because I had already grown up with dogs. It just it didn't scare me. And I kind of just witnessed like, okay, you know, some animals are traumatized and that's the way that they react.
0: I feel that I, I've never really been, I've been attacked by two dogs, but I've never been afraid of them. Like even when it was happening, like the first time I ever got attacked, I think it was because I was standing right next to my horse and I grown up, I've grown up with horses my entire life. And when you grow up with a thousand pound animal that like literally could take your life in 2.5 seconds. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't register that like this little dog, like it had grabbed me by the foot and it was dragging me. And I was, I was little, I was laughing. I, I, I'm i like, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, really? And I think it was because in my mind, I just knew that like the horses and everything else that I was surrounded by were so capable of like hurting me. And I had been hurt so many times by animals or not, not animals, horses that I was like, it just didn't even register. That's why when I saw this question, I was like, my worst encounter has definitely been with a horse. Yeah, um, So I can't even relate this. True. That's honestly, Michael, have you ever been asked to transport horses? Because I know they, um I've had a bunch of, my mom's a big horse lady and she is always importing horses from Europe. But have you ever like been asked about horse transport within the US?
2: We have, but I don't think again, I don't know. We can't fit a horse. Big, in, uh, yeah. yeah. So we need I a larger would, aircraft.
0: I had to ask, you said somebody asked you about an elephant. So I was yeah. like, you know what? I might not sound that dumb asking about a horse. but. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. Um, you want me to ask the second question?
1: Yeah, go ahead.
0: All right. So Michael, between <laughs> taking out the trash, folding the laundry and washing the dishes, which one are you going to choose first?
2: Uh, taking out the trash.
1: Yeah. See, same. My same. Man. i knew you were gonna pick that i was like a man's gonna pick taking out the trash but honestly as a woman i'm the same i'm like i will take out the trash i just don't want to fold the laundry or do the dishes that takes exponentially longer
0: i hate doing dishes that's the one thing that like i can from this list like i it's (laughs) it's a sensation thing i think like i don't i can't i don't even eat leftovers because i i'm like oh it's been cold i'm like it's been sitting in a tub in the refrigerator it just does not sit right with me so dishes <laughs> are my
1: worst nightmare oh my god i'm a... okay michael last question favorite card game
2: i would have to say i have four boys 6 and under so we've been playing a lot of war with their pokemon cards very Ooh. simple game but it's yes. somewhat satisfying
1: oh yeah it takes forever too kids love that yeah. game
2: yeah i love it it's <laughs> love easy that. to understand
1: I
0: used to play with Pokemon cards so much when I was little. That's like such a gem of my childhood. But I have to ask Maddie because the last time I was with Maddie, she like upped me at every single card game. What's your favorite (laughs) card game, Maddie? Because I know you love card games.
1: I love any game, sports, cards, board games, you name it. I'm a competitive person. But my favorite card game is Uno. (laughs) Uno. Let's yeah,
0: I feel like I feel like we had that discussion a while ago. Mine's Texas yes. Hold'em. I love Texas Hold'em. I love poker, specifically Texas Hold'em. It is the funnest game. Like, let me see the River Rat. All That's right. the one
1: you were supposed to um, teach me. And then I was too impatient, right? You,
0: no, you just like were up, up, up. And then the minute I said, we're going to play my card game. And the minute I started teaching you how, after you had taught me every other game, you were like, uh, I have I think it's my time to expire <laughs>
1: I was yeah.
0: seeing myself to my bed I was like okay good night that's the
1: other fun fact about me is that when it comes to like directions if you start lolling on I like go to another dimension like I lose myself in thought and so I'm sorry Emma plus I was probably tired you know me i'm a Um, grandma yeah
0: we we were out in the sun been drinking all day so yeah i honestly i was right behind you but all right well thank you so much michael for joining us today honestly like this was a really really fun conversation and like i said such a reprieve from what we typically talk about like I'm coming out of this smiling and I feel great. And I'm going to go take my dog for a walk. We're going to go walk the um, Ravenel Bridge in Charleston. So ooh, y'all heard me big flex. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. And I hope one day when I decide I have the money to get current again, I can come and join you guys maybe for a mission because this is definitely something that I would love to do someday. So yeah.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: As always, it was our pleasure and we'd love to have you on again. Hopefully, like Maddie said, like I've said, hopefully you get that caravan soon. We're definitely going to be watching and um eagerly looking forward to seeing how your business or not business, but charity and everything that you're doing grows.
2: Thank you so much.
0: All right, y'all. Well, that is it for this week's episode. As always, remember to keep the blue side up. And the brown side down, peace
1: out.